Well, welcome church to Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost Sunday is the day where the church celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit has, has arrived. Um, and as we look at the lectionary, the gospel reading for this Sunday uh, went back to John chapter 20, uh, a, a moment in time where Jesus was uh, reappearing to the disciples. Um, and, and it says, Jesus came into the room and it says he, he breathed on them and he said, receive now the Holy Spirit. It's kind of unceremonious, kind of matter of fact, the way that John puts it. Uh, and that's all we hear about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Since we touched on that passage, uh, it had appeared in the lectionary cycle on the second Sunday of Easter, the Sunday after Easter. Uh, I decided to, to take a look at a, a different reading from the lectionary text and, and go into Acts chapter 2, which is the familiar story. Uh, of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so today, as we look to Scripture today, to be shaped and to be formed by it, to be encouraged by it, uh, I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. In your Bibles, if you have them, or maybe point your, device, your devices uh, that direction um, for kind of an extended uh, reading of Scripture today. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 1 through verse 21 this morning. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. When Pentecost day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who were speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them, saying, they're full of new wine. Peter stood with the other uh, 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God, sa God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness and the moon will be changed into blood 
before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Have you ever been launched into something? Have you ever had that moment where you knew it was coming and you were, you were thrust into something new? Uh, something began uh, at, an, at an appointed time. Uh, earlier this week, uh, on Wednesday, actually, there was a, an attempted rocket launch. I don't know if any of you saw any coverage on this, but this was a kind of a joint venture between the SpaceX program uh, and NASA to get some astronauts from a launch from U.S. soil up to the International Space Station. Um, the launch was scrubbed for weather. It was happening, uh, I believe, in the state of Florida, and uh, they're supposed to try it again, I think, on Saturday. So maybe it has, this has already happened by the time you're watching this video. But Imagine, if you will, and maybe you didn't watch this launch or, or uh, maybe you've seen a previous launch, but what does that countdown feel like? What, 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 what do you feel and what do you sense and what do you experience in those moments of countdown? All that anticipation, great planning, great effort, all the contingencies um, figured out and, and how are we going to do this and what are we going to look like here? And then there's this immediate rush of power, this, this launching that takes place. To me, Pentecost feels like a launch point for the church. As we, as we take a look at this text uh, in Acts, and, and as we describe what Pentecost must have been like, it's really important for us to understand the context of what's going on in Acts as well. As you look, this is right at the beginning of the book, Acts chapter 2, but as you look at, at chapter 1, we, we have record of the ascension, right? Jesus going up to heaven, um, the, the disciples gathering with Jesus, and he's taken up in the clouds, and these guys are kind of left staring off into the clouds, and suddenly two, two men in white show up. What are you doing here? Why are you looking into the sky? Um, we hear a little bit about what happened to, to Judas Iscariot, the one who had betrayed Jesus uh, and handed him over to be arrested. Uh, and then we come to this, this uh, portion of scripture where uh, they're talking about not wanting 11 disciples, wanting to, to replace Judas. Um, and so they decide to pick someone and can't really decide on a couple. And so they drew straws, they cast holy lots. All of this to me feels like countdown, feels like preparation because of what we read in chapter two. Uh, Pentecost was another festival or a feast in, in the life of the Jewish community. Uh, the last one that we talked about was Passover. Uh, you remember Palm Sunday and, and all the visitors who had gathered into Jerusalem and, and celebrated uh, Jesus's triumphal entry into the gates of Jerusalem, casting down their robes and, and laying down their, their, their coats and their jackets, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, save us, save us, Jesus, from where we're at. 
from our from our place. But this is the next um, the next festival on the calendar, scheduled for 50 days beyond uh, the Passover celebration, and that's why we get the seven Sundays uh, of Easter, the seven weeks of Easter, correlate with the Pentecost celebration, um, which was prescribed for, for 50 days after Passover. And that becomes important to this story because we again have a crowd that has gathered here in, in Jerusalem and, and people have come from all over. Um, earlier in, the, in chapter one, it talks about the, the size of the faithful, the size of this group that had kind of clustered up here in, in Jerusalem being about 120 or so. 120 people who uh, had heard of uh, Jesus' reappearing to the disciples and, and had set their, set their mind on following Christ so early. Um, but they were all gathered in this place. They were all gathered in this house. And scripture says, in blue, <laughs> a mountain home wind, right? In blue, uh, the, the blowing of a, of a violent wind, one that, that shook the house. Well, the author of Acts describes what's, what is called in the, the common English, individual flames of fire that came to rest on each of those that gathered. You probably heard the term tongues of fire, I think is how it's translated uh, in the New International Version. And then he speaks about communicating the gospel. The author talks about how Peter stands up and begins to declare and begins to speak the truth of the gospel message. Uh, and this crowd is, is alerted. This crowd says, what's all this commotion? Who are all these people um, speaking about? Or, or what's, what's, what's so exciting? Um, it's kind of like when, uh, you know, you see siren or you hear sirens or you see lights on emergency vehicles. Um, has anyone ever experienced traffic slowing down because people are like, hmm, I wonder what's going on there. So frustrating, by the way. Don't slow down. Just keep traveling. Um, Many commentators, as we look into this story of, of Pentecost Sunday and the coming of the Holy Spirit, many, many commentators point back to the story of the Tower of Babel from Genesis chapter 11. Uh, and some of the parallels uh, uh, between the two stories are just undeniable. Um, people had come together after the great flood uh, described in, in earlier chapters in Genesis and the impression that we're left with uh, is the people who gathered in this valley uh, in Genesis chapter 11 uh, are wanting to accomplish something great, build something fantastic that would, that would fill, uh, fill their minds and hearts with awe at the, at the wonder of what they had built. They were headed right back into the same scenario that, that had caused the flood. The, 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 the people were described as um, prior to the flood, that their, their hearts were full of pride uh, and they, they wanted to build and boast themselves up right back to where they were sighted, right, right back to where they started. God's movement is, is to confuse 
language, to, to make them unable to understand one another uh, and to disperse the people, as it says, is what happens in Genesis chapter 11. This is a parallel story and in, in, in notable ways, it's, it's completely opposite. It's the, it's the undoing of the Tower of Babel. Here, the, the people are kind of stuck, kind of hidden, kind of nervous, gathered in one place and secluded. <laughs> Not really sure about what to do next or how to, how to take the mission of the gospel to the world. They're stuck in the house. They're, they're doing tasks like replacing disciples um, because, well, Jesus had 12, so, so maybe we should have 12 again and, and replaced that person uh, in the group of 12. But there's this kind of trepidatious waiting and the giving of the Holy Spirit and, and the boundaries of, of, or with the giving of the Holy Spirit, we see the, the boundaries of language and communication being lifted, <laughs> that people are, are set free to understand and to hear the gospel message of who Christ was, what Christ did, and how Christ felt. It's like the countdown hit zero. It's like they came to the launch point and the faithful were able from this point to unleash their belief, started sharing the good news. So, so for the Tower of Babel, we have people who are kind of prideful, kind of uh, um, caught up in, in this achievement and wanting to, uh, to do something impressive. And the language barrier was created. But in Pentecost, we have this anxious and kind of nervous group that has kind of secluded. And the language barrier is removed. One commentator calling it the undoing of the confusion of languages that we see at the Tower of Babel. Um, Pastor in Nampa by the name of Scott Daniels recently uh, posted something that made me return to the text here for a closer look. He, say, he said he, he often thinks about Pentecost and talks about Pentecost, the, the Pentecost miracle being more about a miracle of hearing than a miracle of speaking, <laughs> which is convenient for us Nazarenes who uh, <laughs> uh, struggle with understanding um, kind of the modern interpretation of the speaking in tongues. Uh, and, and yet uh, the, the discussion here is, is, uh, what is what is speaking in tongues about? Certainly in this passage, we get a clear picture that that the speaking in tongues that, that happened on this day or, or the hearing of tongues uh, was all about communication. It was about understanding and communicating an understandable message. Um, we're not going into the discussion of, of what speaking in tongues looks like today. We don't have time for that. But there's a definite conflict in the text. As you look at verse four, it says this, uh, that the, the disciples were able to speak in other language. And then just a couple, couple of verses later, it says the, the people who had gathered heard them speaking in their own native language. And I'm left with this thought. Uh, this particular uh, passage makes me wonder, 
where was that miracle? And who, who, who brought about uh, the ability, not who brought about the ability to communicate, but, but was it in the speaker or was it in the hearer? But the beautiful thing about this message, the, be- the beautiful thing about this passage is that the Spirit brought together these diverse folks, people from all over. Uh, the author kind of goes off on this <laughs> kind of exaggerated list. It's in quotes, so the author's trying to make it seem like someone's saying this um, uh, and speaking this list. Can you imagine someone looking around and, and saying that? <laughs> oh, look, the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites, people from Mesopotamia and on. It's like somebody was taking roll call there or something. <laughs> At the end of this, some, some are confused. Some are like, what's going on here? Others uh, make a quick conclusion. Well, these guys just have had a little too much to drink today. They're just drunk. It's in this baptism of the Holy Spirit that we see Peter stand and begin to, to address the crowd, begin to speak, uh, and to speak truth. Um, he defends the faithful. This isn't, what, this isn't what some of you are assuming. This is not about drinking too much wine. Instead, he quotes a passage, from, uh, a passage of Scripture from the prophet Joel, saying, it's here. The day has arrived. The Spirit is being poured out in your seeing. This is what's going on. It has arrived. Uh, and the passage that he chose ends with this powerful statement. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, we, we didn't take time to read the whole, the whole chapter or down to verse 41, but like Paul Harvey and the rest of the story, uh, there's, there's, more, there's more to come. There's more that happens. First Peter accuses the people in Jerusalem. This is the one that you killed. This is the one who you chose to crucify. Um, and he warned them. Um, it talks about the message of Jesus. And what does it say? It says 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 chose Jesus. 3,000 said, this is how I want to live. And this was the launch point for the church and for the faithful. What are the implications for us today? How do do we respond? How do we be shaped by this narrative and and formed by this story? I think there's such grace and beauty in seeing the Spirit as the facilitator of communication. There's such beauty in that, that, that it's in, in sensing the Spirit and, and drawing close to the Spirit that, that we're able to communicate more effectively. That when the Spirit shows up, we speak differently. We speak better. We speak more sensitively. That when the Spirit shows up, we listen differently. We listen better. We listen with open ears. It's miraculous. It's shaped by this miracle. It, it harkens back to this miracle that when the Spirit shows up, we speak and listen better. Today we live in an age, uh, or a day and age, where, where rough and de- divisive monologues are, are normal. 
<laughs> they're how people communicate. Make your point, send your zinger, mic drop, walk away. That's what we're doing. That's what we're caught up in in this country right now. Make your point and walk away. What does the Spirit do? What do I believe the Spirit does? The, 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 I believe the Spirit helps us speak, helps us listen, help us, helps us to sit and lament in moments of injustice. We're plagued today, every, almost every week, certainly every month, by, by stories of injustice, by stories of violence and discrimination that are happening all around the world, but particularly in our country. And there's times when I'm tempted to, to add my own monologue, to, to preach my own sermon and, and drop the mic and walk away and say, shouldn't we do better? Shouldn't we know better and just add fuel to the fire, just participate the way everyone else does? which is so easy. But I don't think that's what the Spirit brings. As evidenced by this story, when the Spirit rushes in, people speak better, more eloquently, more graciously. And people listen with ears that are ready to learn, ready to interact, and ready to do better. As we look forward past um, this Sunday and into the coming Sundays through the summer, I'm excited to announce that over the next several months, we're going to take a journey through the book of, of 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians had a tough road. Um, Paul had set up this church and they were kind of in a, in a cultural center, right in the middle of a lot of trade routes, which brought a lot of people from a lot of different places, had a lot of pagan influences, lots of ideas running around the town. The problem was it was playing itself out in the church. That in the church, these factions had formed. That in this church, uh, they were a picture of the divided culture that remained outside and in the world and, and that was present in the world. As we're on this journey together first of, of becoming one this year, and as we're on this journey of, of surviving these days of coronavirus and, and all that it's brought upon us and the ways it has reshaped our world and, and now needs to reshape even what the church looks like in some ways. Um, but see, as we're on this journey of coming back and meeting together as a church, we're going to be taking a look at the church in Corinth to learn how to, how to treat one another well, how to, how to speak well and how to listen well and how to really form a strong and tight community amongst our worshiping body. I think that's the lesson of the Spirit. What I, what, I, what I suspect that we'll find as we dig into Corinthians throughout this journey, not only for the church in Corinth, but also for us, is that the Spirit enables the proper posture for communication. 
but that it will allow us to speak and to listen well, to care for one another, even when our ideas might not be the same, especially when our ideas might not be the same. In a world in which it's so rare, we might call that kind of speaking miraculous. We might call that kind of listening a literal miracle that we can sit together and worship together, that we might speak and listen well to one another in these days and even to the world in which we live. So that in our midst and in our context, maybe God will add 3,000 to our number or 300 or maybe even one because that is the work of the Spirit in our midst. May it be so. May the Lord teach us to speak and to listen that way. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just lift our lives up to you. We're so grateful and thankful for all that you do. Thank you for this story uh, of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for, for this record of of how impactful this moment was for the church, that it was this launch point, this, this point from which the church never looked back. We're grateful for the Spirit in our lives. We ask that you would allow uh, us, help us to allow the Spirit to move and work in our lives and to control us and to shape us. We're so grateful for all that you do. We're so grateful that the Spirit resides within us. Would you make us ever more sensitive to the Spirit of the living God, which is within us? We worship you today. Would you be with us in Christ's name? Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.